This is The Creative Double Shot, a conversation about building the creative life you want. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Ginger. If you want more creativity in your life, let's talk. Today, we're going to talk about the myth of the real, all caps, maybe quotes around it, italics, bold, the myth of the real creative. What that is, is the idea that, well, I like to be creative, I want to be creative, but I'm not really a creative. There, there are other people out there who are either making money, or they're famous, or I want to be like them, but I, I'm not there yet. And so instead of using them as inspiration, maybe we just kind of put ourselves down and limit ourselves because we're not that person and we're, we're not that successful or accomplished technically or, or whatever it is. So that's one of the things that seems to limit people from going after creativity in their life. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some things as a, uh, as a visual artist that, that maybe you've encountered that kind of have played into that for you? You know, because the, the, this first part is all about recognizing the myths. And it's not just like these, it's also not a capital M myth, right? It's, it's like, right. hey, there's a, a spectrum of things that we use to limit ourselves to being the best creative we can be. And so you've, you've delved into that pretty deeply. Absolutely. I think as a, as a visual artist, especially, you sort of picture this mad genius, you know, working in a converted warehouse and insane and penniless. <laughs> and you know, funny, would become, a, right, but <laughs> would become a sellout if they actually, you know, they get discovered, but they never actually make any money and they die penniless. And it's, it's, I already said that. That's, or we picture someone like Picasso, who was successful in his time. Yeah. He was very creative, obviously, but he is held up as a standard of, well, the average person could never reach that. And it's funny, right? I, I was thinking about the documentary we watched. What is it? The uh, the cost of everything or the yes. price of everything? The one about the art world and, and the art auctions. And uh, who was the guy who did the um, basically the Japanese balloon sculpture of the – was it a dog? And, is it and, Jeff Koons? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, here's a guy who is very interesting, right? He's by monetary levels successful, but even he is kind of – somewhat poo-pooed in the creative world for right. being a sellout, for being right. fully commercial art because he's got times with uh, Louis Vuitton, yes. as I like to say because I'm <laughs> French. <laughs> because <it's> stylish. <laughs> but, uh, and so that's interesting too, right? Like it, ultimately, it's like you can never win. Like, oh, you're too successful. Exactly. Oh, you're not successful Need enough. Need to take you down, yeah. What about, um, I, I'm, I'm thinking about like a lot of movies that – sensationalize or uh, glamorize suffering. You yes. know, the, like you talked about the mad genius and you think about Van Gogh and the ear, you know, Sylvia Plath. Uh, I'm not, I don't know Jackson Pollock's story very well. I know you do. Oh, yes. Um, but, or My Left Foot, which Alcoholic is- Alcoholic and miserable yeah. and died in a crash. Yes. Yeah, but he was a genius, man. I mean, come on. That's, that's the pinnacle, right? No, it's not, yeah. not the pinnacle Go. at all. It's really the, the nadir. Um, <laughs> And so that's always interesting to me. And as going through a lot of writing blogs and books, and it's amazing how many times people have to say that the, tor the myth of the torture genius is just that. It's a myth that you don't have to be chemically enhanced. You don't have to rely on anything but what's in you. All right, maybe coffee, maybe coffee. Right. <laughs> but you don't have to rely on anything but what's within you to find the creative spark. 
I know we're getting a little off like the the myths, but these are all kind of it's all tied in, right? These these things. And so, what like in in the visual art world, can you think of? And I'm putting you on the spot here, but can you it's think fine. of any successful artists who are not known to be madmen or women um, or clinically depressed or you know any you know like the suffering part or the uh, chemically right. enhanced exactly. part? Exactly. Are there are there success stories that don't include that? Many. Helen Frankenthaler is a perfect example of someone who she had a lot of things happen and, you know, painful things happen in her life, but she addressed them through her creativity and didn't implode. And Georgia O'Keeffe, a perfect example of someone who stuck to her creative dreams and lived somewhere she wanted to live and, again, did not self-destruct in any way. And there are so many more examples, particularly women, which is another episode we're going to be doing, focusing on women in the arts. Yeah, and how they carved out different creative lives, and maybe they reached sort of a similar end point, but the way they got there. Frida Kahlo, another one. Yeah. Immense, extreme pain in her life, but channeled that and, and really was a pioneer. Super cool. Right. Like, well, I mean, you go back to. Um, Picasso, was he? I mean, yeah, I mean, he was a know. rogue, but but definitely he lived into his 90s and, and made art the whole time and seemed to feel great about yeah, it. He didn't have to destroy himself <laughs> to do it, right? Right, exactly. And there are probably lots of artists like and that. Gosh, tons and tons of modern artists that I follow on Instagram that seem very well adjusted and are living their creative dreams. Yeah. I think of... Uh, in writing, I think of Stephen King as probably the most notorious or famous or both. Right. Um, in his uh, autobiography on writing, he talks about how he was in basically like cocaine, alcohol-fueled haze for a lot of the 80s. And, uh, and he, I think he even talks about the fear of like, well, can I do this without that? And uh, turns out he could. Yes. You know, and it's funny, right? A, a lot of times when an artist gets sober – People are like, ah, their work's just not what it used to be. You know, like mm-hmm. the fans shit on them. Right. Which Strong language is the myth. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So, yeah, there's th- this whole idea, two things. One is that you ha- there's a certain thing that determines whether you're real creative, and it's like money, fame, um, and probably a combination of money, fame, and tortured genius, you know, that's in there. And then there's also, you know, another thing about it is like real creatives have connections, and they're... It, it, it all seems to roll back to the idea that people have – you can't create in anonymity because that's not real. Right. When in fact, in fact, we know, and I know because I've been toiling in anonymity for 10 years <laughs> yes, or more. exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and it kind of gets back into why are you doing this in the first place? Is it – if you're creating strictly to become famous, you're probably missing the boat. And you'll find that it loses its luster pretty fast. You know, you have to, you have to get inner satisfaction from your creative practice, whatever it is, yes. music, visual art, writing, sculpting, whatever. But that is that internal satisfaction that's really the thing that drives you. And I know that I have to remind myself of that very often because I do have publication goals. I have, you know, my ego wants certain things that really don't matter. In, in the grand scheme of things, which I always is fascinating. But, but the more I start looking externally for what I want to achieve, 
usually the worse I perform doing my art. And the worse you feel about it, probably. Well, right, yeah. And, and that, that all goes hand in hand. That's and I was thinking about the school. Another myth is that true creatives have hmm. gone to art school. I mean, that's been a, a huge one for me over the years, getting past that idea that I'm not a real artist if I didn't go to Where's your school MFA? and get a degree for it. Yes. Totally. I, you know, it's funny. I work with a guy who's probably one of the smartest people I know. He's working on getting his degree, and, and we all know, and I think he even knows, he doesn't need it, but he feels like he should have it for legitimacy reasons. Yes, and, and I totally get it. Oh, yeah. absolutely. You want someone like a piece of paper saying, you, you did this. It's a rite of passage. Yes. And some people want to see that, but... You have to figure you out for yourself out what yeah, no. exactly <laughs> who needs them. Yeah, it's interesting. I think there's the part too that I think as creatives we love to learn and we love getting more knowledge because in some on some level it's like well I, I want to make sure that I have all the tools to do it right, which of course is a not the best reason. But we also just like learning and it's like ooh, I didn't know about that technique. Or the practice that comes with being in a learning environment that allows you to get better at your craft. There's, there is value in that, but you can also, because what, what a lot of times also what happens in those situations, and again, I'm veering off, off the, the myth, <laughs> but the reason it's a myth is because what happens in those situations is you have people who operate in a very small sphere telling you what is and what isn't right or wrong or good or bad. And... That might be true for them in their sphere. That might be true just for them, but that doesn't mean it's true for universally, right? Yes. And what's – tell – I'm sorry. No, no, you go ahead. I'll say, well, tell me what you think, um, like when you think about your art and its appeal to people. Yeah, I think I've really learned that the things that come from a place of deep meaning for me are the – pieces that resonate with other people. Yeah. Do they resonate with everybody? No. <laughs> right. Good point. So that I've done paintings that I haven't sold. And many, many people have said, oh, I love that. Uh, but no one has loved it enough to buy it. And then I have others I could have sold five times. And then I have others that no one ever says they like, but I love. Yeah. You know, yes, it's all over the map. And so the idea that if you get rejection from anybody, whether it's a, you know, a consumer or a mentor or a professor or someone in, your, in a critique group or something like that, that a lot of times what we'll do, and this, is, this, go, this does go back to the, the real creative, right? Like, oh, well, if they don't like it, then I'm not a real creative. Right. It's like, it's like well, yeah. they might not like it, but A, do you like it? And, you know, who, who's more aware of the flaws of your art than you? Exactly. Um, <laughs> your whole person. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. And, and yeah, I mean, just, just that idea that there are, there are audiences out there for just about all creative stuff. Because, you know, I mentioned it earlier, I think, about the toiling and anonymity. That doesn't mean that you don't want other people to see it. We love feedback, especially when it's good feedback and right. validation, right? We're looking yes. for validation. And those are nice, but ultimately, so I would argue that real creatives get their validation primarily from their internal joy of Doing, creating. Right? Yes, exactly. 
Um, it I is, would it agree is, with that. It's, it's like exercise too, though, right? It's nice to have done something. Oh, <laughs> right. I wrote this novel, and that took five <laughs> exactly. years of my life. But look, I wrote a novel. How fucking amazing. I don't know. Like, what do you think as far as, like, as, far as dispelling the myth of real creators? I mean, I think, I think what we'll find as we go through this, and I think we're finding this as we're looking at our, our future episodes, that there's going to be a lot of interwovenness, because that's a sweet word, um, <laughs> a lot of interwovenness. A lot, of, a lot of these themes will just keep coming up again and again and again and again, and especially that looking within for your satisfaction, I think. Even though there are these people who we use the real creative label with from a lot, you know, the famous people, the rich people, whatever, do they still, do they still have a value as like for someone who is toiling in anonymity? What do you think about that? Right. Yes. Nobody gets there. Nobody gets famous without doing the work. They've done their work. So the most important part is doing the work. That's what I've found over, over the years, doing the work, doing the work. And I think one thing I, I wanted to quickly circle back to yeah. another myth is the drawing thing. Because particularly for visual artists, this idea that I have to be able to draw uh, to be yeah. a creative person. I'm not sure where that came from. A classical education where you learn how to draw. I'm not, I don't know because sure, everyone but... says, oh, I can't draw a stick figure. <laughs> right. It's like, well, do, exactly. do you have to draw a stick figure? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So this idea that there's one way to be creative, we're trying. That's awesome. That's, that's the hugest myth, really, that we're trying to dispel is that it's not, there isn't just one definition of creativity. It's huge. And I think I, I kind of like that you're modeling the going back and forth and going to future episodes and kind of talking in a circular motion because I feel like that also is indicative of the creative process, that it's not a linear, doesn't just happen in a way. You learn how to draw something, then you learn how to draw something else. Right, right, right. The fact is some days you're going to draw better than others. Some days you're not going to draw at all. Some days you're and, – and if you don't want to draw, you don't have to do that to be creative. <laughs> You're now listening to the drawing podcast. Right. <laughs> but no, it, it's funny. Like, that's such a fundamental, like, uh, elementary art school. I can't draw. Yeah. It doesn't look like I want it to look. And it's like, well, yeah, you know. And so the growth trajectories and the, the nonlinearity of it, you know, I think that's awesome and that it is. It's not like, well, well first I do this and then I do that. And, and you're always building on stuff. You're discovering new things. It's, I, I was thinking earlier today, I was like, you know, I was thinking more on the emotional level, like how we, we bring all of our emotional baggage to the, the palette, to the empty page, to the unmolded clay. We bring all that with us too, right? And I was like, oh yeah, we all have the world's largest ball of twine inside of us <laughs> yes. and it's all interwoven with each other. Like everything, everything you do touches your emotional ball of twine. And wow. So, the Ball of Twine That's podcast. Right. I will be uh, hosting tours to the world's largest <laughs> ball of emotional twine. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's very inexpensive in the whole family. So the, there are the myths that, we cre like that society gives us. There are the myths we have in our heads. There are the myths that our people, like the people in our lives have told us, like that, yes. you know, when someone mocks your drawing, they're like, oh, it looks like a, a butt. It's like, no, it's not a butt. It's a heart. You know, <laughs> things like, and then the, but you remember that for the rest of your life. So yes, my, my scarred. Hearts, my hearts look like butts. <laughs> and, and so. That's like just. Well, this is awesome. One opinion, man. man. <laughs> and so 
This is awesome because it gets back to the whole fundamental idea that we're, we're doing, that we're trying to get out for people, and that we've been on this personal journey ourselves to get after. And it's the idea that you don't have to start out good at something. It's all about the practice. And, and so there are a couple of things that we'll be talking about in later episodes again, is how to make time for the practice, how to actually have a practice. Like, what does that practice look like for you? For you, not like this is how the practice has to be, just no shoulds. Yeah, let's not. We probably already wore that one out last time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's a real chestnut. It is. Let's trot that (laughs) chestnut. Anyway, um, yeah, so the idea that if you want to, I'll I'll, I'll do a personal anecdote. When I decided I wanted to, to write novels, I'd never done it before. And I was all stoked. I probably had coffee when I decided I wanted to do it. And I started out on it, no planning, no anything. And I I figured it out as I went along. And then it was a long, long, long process of figuring out. But it was worth it enough to me because I enjoyed the writing process. I enjoyed seeing the novel come together and become more clear, clearer as as I wrote. And so the payoff was in in kind of seeing how the process works. And then, of course, I finished that first one. And when I started a second one, I was like, oh, this is, feels just as hard as it did the first time around. Mm-hmm. You're always trying to find ways to make it l- more efficient. But um, there's a saying that, you know, you, you learn to write the novel that you're currently working on. And then when you move to your next one, you have to. So again, like if, if you can't make some peace with that, then you, you're going to have a hard time. Whereas if you take joy from doing the actual act itself and then the and taking a long view you're, you're going to have a much better time you're going to be better headspace does do you how do you how does that translate into visual art for you as far as um you know dispelling those personal myths of oh. of why you shouldn't be doing it in the first place what the hell am i doing with my time right. <laughs> exactly i could be watching tv well that's that's a that's a huge one to get past is it's not a real job I mean, that's what we learned growing up, kind of. I mean, my parents, again, I think I mentioned this in the last episode, my parents encouraged creativity, but the arts themselves, what you think of as the arts, were not super encouraged There's as a hobbies. career path. Exactly. Do it for your own edification and, and growth and excitement, whatever, which, again, we are telling people to do here. You know, this Absolutely. is... So you don't have to make a living on it. However, so I had to get past the idea that I can't. First, I had to get past the myth that I shouldn't make money doing it because that's not what real artists do. Real artists don't sell out and start making money on their art. But then again, they also do. But then right? they do. Exactly. <laughs> right. so you make millions on but who you, don't you be ask. A yeah. Yeah. So then, uh, then I had to get past the idea that it's not a real job, it's actually a lot of play. And of course, we'll talk about that in a later episode too because. I think play is 100% as valuable as work and, and equally valuable and, you know, yin and yang and all that. So I had to get past that idea. And then what was the question again? <laughs> well, how, yeah, like how, in, in your visual art, um, oh, right. we'll call, I, I don't want to call it a career. I want to say practice, right? Because yes. that's, you mentioned it. Like the, the point uh. is, is that you come at your creativity on your own terms. If you do want to, make a living off of it, then that's cool. That's totally fine. Then you're going to work, you know, toward that. If you are 
just wanting to get that feeling of what it feels like to create if you want to dip a toe in, whatever it is. Um, but the question was, how do you dispel your own personal myths to put paint on canvas? Right. I love to draw and paint, so I was always compelled to do it. And I did it long before I ever made a dime doing it. And what kept you going? Like what, what? And it was the absolute satisfaction of the process. It was the getting lost in the process, the meditative process. The Also, I love drawing people's animals and my own animals. So it was a way to, you know, study something, be close to something. But it was really just the satis- – it was simply the satisfaction because I have sketchbooks full of things I never showed anyone, and yet I did want to show people pictures of animals that I drew and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, but really it was for me learning, like watching my progress and, yeah, just loving the process and watching myself. I don't know, though. You you don't really, you're not aware of your progress exactly while you're doing it. It takes some looking back, which is probably another episode. Well, hence the practice, right? Right. And and it's funny, as you were talking there, I was thinking, you know, one of the, one of the joys, I think, of creativity, well, not even creativity, but learning, is, is when you have that moment where you stand back and you're like, oh, my gosh, like, I couldn't do this before. And now I don't even think about it. You know, it's second nature. Or, oh, wow, I'm, by getting to this point, I can finally see the concepts that I've been reading about, and they're all coming to fruition because I've been practicing. Yes. And so bringing it back to like, how do I do that so that I can have that in my life? And, um, and by me, I mean you, the listener, <laughs> because cause that's, one of the, that's been one of the joys that Ginger and I have experienced is that, man, we used to joke, well, I, I was kind of an ass about it, to be honest, but um, the, uh, when we have to write artist statements or we were applying oh, for grants God. and things like that, and um, it's like, well, why, why you know, why do you write? It's like, ah. Oh. And I would just be like, oh, I write because I have to. And in some ways, though, it's true because if you didn't feel like you had to, then you wouldn't do it or, right. or art or whatever. And because I want to. Well, that's yeah. exactly right because it, it's something I enjoy for any number of reasons. And I think that's the coolest thing. And we're also going to be in future episodes defining creativity to even more micro degree in terms of not just the traditional arts that you think of. Right. Um, and I'm glad you said that because I think one of the easiest ways to dispel the myth, like if you feel like you are not a real creative, is to do some observations of, of what you spend time doing and what things give you joy. But you'll find like if, if you're listening to this podcast, you, chances are you're going to find these little clues, right? Like, oh man, I love when I arrange the table between the two chairs in the living room and I've got flowers here and there's a, you know, like there are things that just strike your eye. There are landscapes. You go hiking and you see landscapes and you see, you know, you, you compose, you know, if you're a photographer or if you're an artist, a landscape artist, and you do, you start like composing in your mind, like, oh, what would be like the, <laughs> if you're an Instagrammer, you, you yeah. start taking what you're seeing and, and kind of looking at it through that lens, which is, is a fully creative lens. Uh, and we, we, I think we talked about these things before, like gardening, you know, how you arrange gardens, how you decorate your house, how you mow the lawn. You know, we have these people who mow our lawn. And, you know, when I mow the lawn, I'm just like, man, back and forth, back and forth. 
And then they're like going diagonal and, you know, making cool patterns. It's like, well, that's fun. You know, that gives oh. them some measure of satisfaction. You know, I use the fitness app Strava to um, when I mowed the other day. And apparently I go in zigzaggy circles when I mow. So <laughs> it looks like that little, I do what I want. <laughs> that little cloud in Charlie Brown when they're very frustrated or whatever, yes. right, above their head. Does anyone read Charlie Brown anymore? <laughs> Probably not. Dag. But uh, anyway, yeah. So like if you take nothing else from today's episode that I highly recommend if you're struggling with the idea that you're creative or that you're not a real creative, look around. And if you have these little clues, even if you don't, it doesn't matter. But if you want to create, then you should create. But if you have these little clues, maybe a little sketchbook here, maybe you, Ginger brought up earlier, you doodle while you're talking on the phone or in class or watching TV. Um, Maybe you do Zen tangles. Heck, I don't know. Yeah. And of course, we always kind of default to the visual arts. But you I know. know. Maybe you do haikus. Maybe you, uh, right. I don't know. Maybe when you make cookies, they're the most beautiful cookies. Some people go nuts, and I'm not one of them, but I'll eat them. I'll eat the cookies. Anyway, look around you. Look for those, those cues that you are, in fact, a creative. What I look forward to, so this whole first part, these whole first episodes are just about creativity and uh, kind of unpacking it. I think we'll, I'm looking at our, our upcoming episodes and we're kind of, we've already touched on some of these things, <laughs> but we're just going to do it. We might be getting ahead of ourselves. Well, no, no, but I, I'm thinking like who, who qualifies. And I feel like we kind of, you know, that was going to be the next episode. And I feel like what we're ultimately saying is everyone qualifies who wants to qualify, really. I mean, yeah. we don't. We're born creative. And I think Ginger's point about recognizing yourself as a creative, even if you're not in a traditional creative art, just take joy in being the best in that that you can be. And that's, that's creative enough, you know. Man, more power to you if you can pull it off to have your, you know, if you work full-time for your full-time job to allow you to do that or that you yeah. can find that in your full-time job. That's, that's the creme de la creme. I wanted to just make a note of something that you said earlier. You mentioned about um, work, you know, it, you know, put in the work and it's like, that's a whole episode on unpacking the word work, right? right. Because oh. in our puritanical country, you know, you work to get to heaven right. and you work to get, you know, and, and that's true. You put in the time, but that doesn't mean it has to suck. And I think that's an important right. thing. Um, it, sometimes it does suck because you're like, oh man, I've been working at this thing, and it doesn't look anything like I want it to look, whether it's writing or art or whatever. But the reality is, is that that's another myth, is that it has to be drudgery or that you have to toil, you know, like the one of the reasons we love to create is because it feels good. Mm -hmm. And so trying to think of that thought when things maybe aren't as where you want them to be. And uh, anyway, I'm, I'm rambling now. It's probably for the 78th cup of coffee. <laughs> it must be time to start wrapping up. <laughs> that's, it's true. I know I tend to go on, so I'll toss it over to Ginger. Uh-oh. <laughs> We've talked about some of the myths today. You maybe are thinking of more that we missed. But I think what's important is that you create for you. We are all born as creative, with creative drive. And you do you, regardless of what society or family or even your own inner critic, which, again, is another episode or 10. Be creative on your own terms.
And join us next episode when we have special guest, my inner critic, on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be awesome. Well, yeah. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time on the Creative Double Shot podcast. See ya.